Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Mike. Lauren. So I just got back from vacation. And I have to tell you, it is so nice being off of social media. Uh, I call bullshit. You were all over social media. I wasn't. <laughs> yes, you Was were. I? <laughs> I no. followed your whole vacation by watching your stories on Instagram. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, a story here, a story there. But I was not spending any time on Twitter. And it was almost like there was no news. Not at all. Nothing. Just I just fell into a black hole. There were no major Supreme Court decisions, no floods, no new social networks were announced. It was great. Um, We should get caught up. Why? <laughs> is there something I missed? Uh, I think one of those things in particular is something that we should talk about this week. Okay, let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined this week by Wired senior writer Kate Nibbs, who joins us from Chicago. Hey, Kate. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. You are one of our favorite friends of the pod, I have to say. I'm speaking on behalf of me and Mike here because I speak for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting you to make some merch uh, to that uh, point, you know, friend of the pod, favorite friend of the pod, anything, anything really cementing that fact. Sweatshirt, my sweatshirt size medium. I'll <laughs> give you a few weeks to come up with some a design but yeah that sounds love, great love that it. sounds great could we do maybe like a hashtag collab around that too like if you wear it on instagram but we're gonna we're gonna put the gadget lab logo and your name on the back so we need like a 180 turnaround as part of the deal i'm in all right <laughs> well that's settled we're starting a merch business folks okay so yeah we uh we need to talk about threads 
Threads, in case you were living under a rock the last two weeks like I was, is Meta's newest social app, and it takes direct aim at Elon Musk's Twitter. Threads is linked to your Instagram account, so it makes sign up pretty easy. But that also means it comes with the same data privacy concerns that any Meta or Facebook site comes with. So will Threads become another platform for ads? Seems likely. But it's also been a huge hit so far. I have to say, I found out about Threads because while I was on vacation, blissfully unaware of the news, I started getting text messages from television producers at the BBC and other shows saying, can you come on and talk about Threads? And and I said, oh, no, I have to check the news, <laughs> don't I? And lots of other people have been intrigued by it, too. Uh, unlike other Twitter alternatives like Mastodon and Blue Sky, Threads has managed to gain over 100 million followers in just a week. So the big question is, will this be the thing that finally replaces Twitter? Or at this point, are we all feeling the Twitter clone fatigue? We're definitely going to get to that. But first, Kate, you've been writing about Threads for Wired. And just to start, I was hoping you could describe Threads. What does it look and feel like? I would love to describe Threads in the most <laughs> deranged way possible, um, which is yes. it is definitely like the love child of Twitter and Instagram but the love child resembles its father, which is Twitter, I would say. Um, it's, yeah, it's like a, it's a Facebook version of Twitter. There's not, there's nothing that's revolutionary about Threads' user interface. If you know how to use Twitter, or even if you don't know how to use Twitter and you only know how to use Instagram, you're going to log on to Threads and understand it. Like it has the feed with text posts from people. The biggest difference for me is actually the content of the posts right now. Um, I'm seeing a lot of cheerful posts from brands, celebrities, and the various mommy influencers who have made their way into my like Instagram life, and way less um, posts from the like leftist shit posters that I follow on Twitter. It's just got a different vibe going. Are there links being shared, photos, gifts, things like that? Like, because that's to me, that's core Twitter, right? Uh, sharing yes. news stories. Yeah. Yes. I mean, okay. So, full disclosure, I was basically dragged kicking and screaming onto threads. I think I tweeted something along the lines of threads is losers, is for losers. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, so, I really, I really have to eat my words. Because I realized it was just not going to be a very smart thing to do as a person working in media to to like be a refusenik for the new hot uh, platform. And I'm glad that I did sign up because it is it is there's a lot going on. There's lots of links being shared. It's I am honestly very surprised by how quickly it's taken off and how active it is. Um, what have your experiences been like so far? I'm looking at Mike because I'm waiting for him to say the thing. Oh, yeah. I'm not on it. What? <laughs> Mike is the refuse neck here. <laughs> I just, I haven't signed up yet. Yet? But yet. I'm sure uh, at some point I'll have to dip my toe in. But uh, I, it, it came along at a time when I was very busy working on other things. And I literally pushed my hands away from my body and said, not now. <laughs> <laughs> As in, don't pick up the phone and do it. Don't do it. Because it would take two seconds. Yeah. Just do it from your Instagram account. It's, so it's, like, ti it's tied Well, here. you download the app. Yeah. You download the separate Threads app container from the App Store. And then it's just, do you want to connect to your Instagram? And then there it goes. 
So it would be very simple for you to do it. it but I respect be. it. You were creating distance for yourself, space, if you will. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm not on it. And I'm sure it like, like I say yet, I'm sure at some point I will feel compelled to go straight mm-hmm. with both feet into threads. But right now I am sort of suffering from fatigue mm-hmm. of signing up for, for new social networks. And I understand that this one helps with that fatigue because it does a lot of the work for you when you sign up because it's connected to Instagram. Is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Let's put a pin on that fatigue and come back to it later on in the therapy session. Okay. Yeah. I'm jotting down notes right now. Happy to do that. Uh, <laughs> what are your impressions of the the new social network, Lauren? I'm going to out myself as someone who is of a certain generation of the internet by saying this, but the thing that I don't know bums me out is that there's no web or desktop app at this point. Mm. You can't access it from a browser. And um, a lot of the tweeting I've done over the years has been from a browser tab. I mean, a lot of people were very into TweetDeck. TweetDeck went away. Uh, I went back to the browser. I have a bunch of tabs open at the same time. I'm reading lots of news stories. I'm checking email. I'm working on my own stories. I really just like having Twitter on a browser. And so to not be able to replicate that with threads and have it be mobile only just feels to me like an early limitation of it. And so I'm just, I've tweeted a few really inane things, but I haven't got to the point yet where I've started using it like a serious news person who's sharing our story links and putting pithy thoughts out there into the world. I'm just like, uh, is this thing on basically? (laughs) Uh, I think the last thing I, I posted on threads was, so there's really no desktop app. Uh, yeah, reposting feels the same. I think I reposted something Kate posted. I keep wanting to say tweeted. We haven't figured out the vernacular for it yet either, which is part of it. People have had some really punny things they've come up with, like threading or needle pointing or, I don't know, stitching, stitches. I But we like it's not, I don't know. It's crocheting i don't know either i actually haven't threaded yet or i haven't posted on threads yet so you definitely haven't re-threaded me but i would love a re-thread whenever i finally figure out what my personality is going to be on this like i'm because i do have uh you know i've had to we've had to download quite a few of these twitter replacements in in recent history so it's like all right am i going to just Am I going to do what I did on Twitter? Am I going to be a whole new Kate? It's hard to right, right. To settle on something. It is not chronological, right? It is an algorithmically determined timeline. Yes, it's an algorithmically determined timeline, which is similar to Twitter and which I deeply despise. Like, if there's going to be a Twitter killer, I beg, I beg them to just let us have an option at least where we see all of the posts from all the people that we follow in the chronological order that they post them. Um, but yeah, that's not what it is. Yeah. I feel like most social networks when they launch these days are using that as the default and then the reverse chronological where you'd only see the posts from the people that you're following, uh, is the secondary option. And I know Instagram has it now, uh, Twitter shows it to you in a tab format where you can switch between tabs. Uh, it's the same on Blue Sky. So I do feel like that's probably coming to threads. And also to your point, Lauren, I feel like the desktop version, the web browser version is probably coming. Um, DMs, hashtags, a lot of those things are probably coming to it. Um, the question is, at what point will it feel mature? 
like I'm not on it, so I can't answer that question. But does it feel like fully grown now or does it still feel very much work in progress? Definitely work in progress, I think. And there are still a lot of questions about how it's working on the back end, too. So uh, it's been reported that Instagram's terms of service apply to threads. That makes me wonder about data sharing on the back end. Um, it makes me wonder if a user's data on threads is being used the same way it's being used to inform the Instagram experience. Um, also, ads. When can we expect ads on threads? Kate, what's the latest on that? I'm sure it's only a matter of time. I believe it's been reported that uh, you know Meta is definitely planning on rolling out ads and are just waiting until they've reached some sort of critical mass, but there's no like marker that they've announced, like we're going to reach 200 million users and then roll out ads. It's sort of, it's undetermined right now, but it's definitely coming. And also, I just want to say, I agree with you about the um, web browser thing. As as a, as a fellow elder millennial, I, I don't like tweeting or posting or doing anything on my phone. I'm like also really excited for there to be a desktop version. Um, I was really excited when a desktop version of Blue Sky emerged for that reason, too. Like, I just, my phone's too small. My thumbs are too big. I'm too old. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. And I also feel an obligation to be careful when I tweet, mm -hmm. to think about words. Also, you have character limitations. And just not fire off some something stupid or, like, just shitpost. Like, I'm thinking. I'm crafting the thing that I want to put out there. It's just easier to do on the desktop. I wonder who the company is trying to appeal to with this launch right now, right? Because it's trying to appeal to users, obviously it wants millions of people to sign up for it, but it's uh, with the terms of service and with what we've seen so far, it's keeping things very family friendly. Um, the head of uh, the, the product, which is Adam Mozeri, who also runs um, Instagram at Meta, has said that uh, they are going to be actively uh, devaluing news and like political discussions on threads, which makes me think that, you know, the things that could make it turn into uh, sort of a toxic experience for people are purposely being pushed to the side to keep the happy stuff and the family-friendly stuff at the fore. And that makes me think, okay, they're making it safe for brands, right? They're making it safer for companies to want to go there because companies wouldn't necessarily want to dive into a platform and adopt it right away as a place where they would post if all the discussion is around politics or all the discussion is around like Trump and QAnon and these hot button topics. So by devaluing that, they make it a safer place for more people and particularly for people to spend their money. Is that right? Does that feel I right? I think so. Um, it definitely seems like they are trying to create like a Disney version of Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, like safe for work as possible. Um, the fact that they have come out and flatly said that they're devaluing news and politics um, makes my me like tremble in my journalism boots, though, because it's like... Okay, I get not wanting to uh, have the whole thing devolve into like a political shouting match. But one of the big appeals of Twitter was that it was a place where you logged on and saw conversations about the news, links to the news, sometimes news being broken. And if that is not only not being prioritized, but being like actively de-emphasized, I think it's going to make uh, threads a place that I like a lot less than I liked Twitter when it was at its best. Hmm. 
Yeah, and good luck deprioritizing politics as we get closer to 2024. It seems like they want threads to be a reflection of a world that doesn't exist. A world full of, of lots of different uh, direct-to-consumer brands uh, <laughs> telling us a lot of mattresses and not a lot of politics. I don't know. Yeah, I feel this was one of the reasons why I was so against threads when it was launched because I I didn't like the whole like brand friendly vibe um at all and it's also why I'm surprised that it's taking off in this way like I actually I'm not as much of a hater as I thought I was going to be when when I wrote my article about uh how I was just sick of all the Twitter replacements and there needed to be no more I am sick of the Twitter replacements and I do think there needs to be no more but maybe threads is Threads is better than I thought it it was. All right, Kate. So it sounds like you're coming around, but you did still call for a moratorium on new websites trying to replace Twitter. And we're going to talk more about that after the break. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. All right. So, Kate, you wrote a story for Wired.com about threads being yet another Twitter alternative. And you listed in your story all of the social networks that we've been encouraged to join as of late. This list is ridiculous, but not exhaustive. Uh, Blue Sky, Mastodon, Post News, Spoutable, Co-Host, Hive Social, T2 Social, Spill, in addition to some of the conversation platforms that are aimed at more right-wing users like Truth Social, Getter, Gab, as well as the platforms that are more geared towards real blogging like Tumblr and Substack. So are we at peak social media? I sincerely hope we are at peak social media. The reason I wrote that story was to basically beg people to stop signing up for new platforms so that they're uh, less likely to continue to proliferate because I am just incredibly sick of having to start from scratch and trying to build an audience. And it feels very like fractured and it's not as fun as when everyone is in one central hub. So I feel personally like we should just cap it now. No new social networks. Let's figure out like what's going to be the new Twitter from what we've got going already. Um, and when I wrote that, I was really hoping I mean, I'm still honestly really hoping that Twitter can survive and make a comeback. Um, it's obviously never been perfect, but it, it would just be easier on everyone, I think, to not have to start from scratch. And I think for all its faults as a company, 
Um, I would probably prefer a world where like a more responsibly helmed version of Twitter exists and is thriving as opposed to a world where like all of the major social platforms are owned by meta. Like that's very concerning for me. Um, yeah, I just think that we can figure, we can figure a winner out from what we got going on right now. No new platforms. Um, <laughs> that is my stance. I'm sticking to it. Although I will say since I wrote that article, I have, I still think threads is kind of loser. <laughs> I think I still think threads is a little bit dorky, a little bit cringe. I would prefer blue sky but like let's be real blue sky is still invite only and has a fraction of the audience like it, it certainly seems like threads is the front runner for the twitter killer um and i'd rather exist in a world where there is a twitter killer or a twitter replacement than a world where there's no microblogging platform at all because i honestly uh love it i eat it up i look at it all the time even when i'm on vacation uh and i have found jobs and friends through microblogging and I don't want it to go away. Yep. And Meta is promising that because it is using a certain type of protocol for sharing that eventually Threads is going to be compatible if it's not already with some of the other networks we're talking about like Mastodon, like Blue Sky. And so theoretically we'd be able to just tweet and post and all of that and it would be shared across all of these networks, right? I only have a loose understanding of how that would actually work on like a technical level. I believe it's called Activity Pub. Mm -hmm. um, it is. That is what they're saying. Like there, you know, if you go on the internet right now, Threads has released a blog post uh, to that point saying that it's going to be interoperable with other platforms. I don't really believe that it's going to happen though. Like Meta doesn't have the greatest track record for... Uh, telling people the truth in the first place or for following through on its like more idealistic uh, projects. I just, it'd be great if that happens, but I'm definitely not holding my breath for it to happen. Yeah, I think we can probably take them for their word that you'll be able to use a client like on your desktop or on a mobile device that will be able to read feeds from all of the different platforms that are using ActivityPub. It, it's basically, it's just, it's a lingua franca for social media, right? It says things like, Kate posted this text at this time. Uh, Mike liked Kate's post, you know, with a link to the post. Uh, Lauren responded to Kate's post with this GIF. So if you have a client, you can see all of these things happening. And I think we'll be able to read all of them. It's the the writing part that I worry about. Mm. Um, the fact that like, you know, will I be able to post in one place and have it appear on four different sites that are all using ActivityPub? That's up to the companies to decide how much data they want in versus how much data they want out. A big part of the appeal of launching a new social network is having a bunch of people locked onto your platform, a bunch of people reliant on your platform and using your platform. And if you remove that ability for people, then it makes it more fluid, which is great for the user. And it's great for like open data on the internet, but it's worse for companies like Meta or companies like Twitter, because then you're like, you're not on a Meta site. You're mm -hmm. not in a Meta app. You're not in the Twitter app. You're just existing in your own app that maybe you wrote yourself or a website that is you know, using these APIs to allow you to publish and read things. So I think it's great that they're like standing behind their decision to use like the the 
the open data standard that a lot of these other ones are using, but it all comes down to the implementation. And as we've seen before with the different wars between Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, it's very easy for these companies to just make a decision to shut everything off, to silo themselves off. Once they get big enough, they're like, you know what? We don't need y'all anymore. And they shut the door. And only the users who go in are the users who are able to interact. So that's a very possible future. And it's something to to watch for and to advocate against happening if you care about these things. Kate, you also write in your story, I've seen the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, copying and pasting to skeet a tweet. It's no way to live. Uh, this was tongue in cheek, but it does hint at something bigger, which is not only the efforts we might have to go to to post to multiple platforms, but the way that we now think in 280 characters or or filtered photos, right? The way that social media has changed our attention spans and our perceptions of ourselves. And I think we as journalists are especially guilty of this because we love real-time news and news in general, and that fuels entire segments of these platforms. But I'm wondering, what is the solution in your mind for creating healthy social networks, ones that are easy to use, but also offer valuable and valid information? Because I think the networks themselves are not going away, but we're seeing this fracturing of them right now. I'm really of two minds about it because part of me thinks that maybe society will end up benefiting from a more fractured niche uh, constellation of social networks instead of what we've had in the past, which is like a few major networks like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, maybe we will all be better off as people if we end up spending most of our time in like a birding forum instead of on on Twitter or threads and it continues to fractionalize and and I I can see a world where that's possible but honestly I the more that I've thought about this and what what Twitter's benefits to society have been I do really hope that there is one reliable place that we can go to for news in the future and and just to you know get our silly jokes off or whatever like I I do hope that there is one one Twitter competitor or Twitter itself that emerges as the like premier microblogging site because for starters, it is madness to be spending all this time like copying pasting a thought to all these different platforms because now you're trying to think of all the, this fractionalized audience versus like just what we did for years, which was like smash that post button on on Twitter. Yeah. Um, now, how you go about creating a healthy, non-toxic version of this, uh, like one microblogging platform to rule them all? I don't know. I wish I did. Um, I don't know if it's possible unless unless you like change human nature. Um, well, you I just, just pick one. That, that... That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. You just you just pick one. You're like I'm only on Mastodon now. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if that's a way to make Mastodon like suddenly not having a Nazi problem or anything like that. You know, like right. I, I think step one is deciding on which which network is going to be the the one. But the step two, making it like better than what came before and less uh, dysfunctional and toxic than Twitter or, or, you know, what threads is probably going to end up being in like a week once people figure out how to be mean on it um, is like a much thornier issue. Mm -hmm. Um but anyway, step one is I think we need to just pick one. That is, <laughs> that's my thesis on on the Twitter Clone Wars. Yeah, you know, for me, unfortunately, it's still Twitter. 
Um, I say unfortunately just because a lot of the changes on that platform have me pretty dismayed. But I can tell you that, you know, there was something that I needed to do for work on Monday of this week. And I went to Twitter and I got all the answers that I needed. There was uh, severe flooding in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York and in Vermont, my second home state. And I was really curious about what was happening in Vermont. And I looked on Blue Sky and I looked on Mastodon and I looked on Twitter and I got all of the information that I needed on Twitter. And I got like nothing on Blue Sky and very little on Mastodon. Um, You also may be aware. I don't know if I don't know if you know this, but I'm a fan of the band Fish. Uh, their tour started and I wanted to chat about their summer tour. And the only place that those conversations were happening was on Twitter. So it's like Twitter is still king for things that are happening now, for things where you need a lot of information. All of that information exists on Twitter. There's just not the depth of users. There's not the depth of links being posted on the other platforms. So like the other platforms are great for jokes. Mm hmm. They're great for like meeting new people or finding new communities. But for those embedded communities, those ones that you've spent years literally cultivating, they're still they're still on Twitter. And I am not sure they're going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were a fish fan. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> that is a joke. I'll have you all know that just earlier this week, I was telling Mike that I am going to Taylor Swift. And I said, she's really good at creating like an like an environment that people want to be in and he said oh what is that like a sephora <laughs> and i said no i said yes i'm familiar with that environment it feels just like a sephora yeah pretty same thing <laughs> and then i and then i said oh i'm sorry how many hours of your life and dollars in your wallet have you spent going to fish concerts over the years that's a and very he said, funky sephora and he said they're really good at creating an environment too <laughs> An atmosphere, and I said, "Oh, what is that? Like a hot box porta potty?" What, like, yes, he's a fish head. Everyone. I'm never telling you guys what music I like. I don't want you to come for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it all comes from a place of love. Don't worry, Kate. Yes, truly, this is this how Mike and I dialogue, which is why we are such a fun podcast co-hosts. Don't you all agree, Kate? It's been awesome having you talk about threads. But don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to do recommendations. And I have a feeling yours is not going to be another social network. So everyone should stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork. And this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Kate Nibs, tell us how to be cool. Um, I will definitely tell you how to be cool as long as your idea of cool is reading a nonfiction book from 2006. If you're on board with that, then we're good. (laughs) Great.
Perfect. Uh, it's this book called Natural Causes. Um, it's by a science journalist named Dan Hurley. And I'm reading it right now as sort of research for a story that I'm working on. But like every it's one of those nonfiction books where like every single sentence sort of blows your mind. Um, it's about this supplement, vitamin and supplement industry in the U.S. and why it sort of devolved into like a wild west. And it is truly like I think it's essential reading for everyone who wants to understand uh, why like our medical system is so messed up right now and like bifurcated with like big pharma and then this whole booming alternative health marketplace. Um, it sort of goes back to the roots of why they split off in such a major way. And honestly, I, I want to recommend it in part because it's great and in part because like with the rise of RFK's candidacy, I think that all of us should spend some time really uh, learning about what alternative medicine is good for and what it's not so good for. And uh, yeah, anyways, Natural Causes by Dan Hurley. Uh, you could probably buy it at any major bookstore. I, I bought it secondhand um, and it's a wonderful, bracing read. Nice. Great. Really like honestly making me want to throw away every supplement I have. Does the book touch on vitamins as well as supplements? Yeah, like because it's it um it's basically the vitamin and supplement industry. Okay. Vitamins though in general like aren't as dangerous. Like if you take too much vitamin D, you're just going to pee neon yellow. Um for the most part, but some of the supplements that are being sold have like are very potent. Like it's not that they're snake oil and don't do anything. It's that they like do a lot of things and they're not regulated at all even though they are essentially as powerful if not more powerful than some of the like most common over-the-counter and prescription medicines. It's, it's really disturbing me. <laughs> Anyways, the, I could, I could talk about that for like four hours, but I'll just say you should read the book if you're interested. Great recommendation. Thank you so much for that. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation also has to do with health. Uh, it's a podcast. Uh, it's called Life Examined. And it's a production of KCRW, which is the big uh, public radio station down in Los Angeles. So if you listen to KCRW, then you've probably heard this show because uh, they play it a couple of times every weekend. So it's a weekly show hosted by uh, Jonathan Bastian. And his guests every week are people who work in health and wellness and philosophy and science. So there's a lot of journalists, there's a lot of other people in media like podcasters and writers, but the topics all have to do with sort of like mental health kind of stuff. Um, recently, there was uh, an episode about Buddhist meditation. Uh, there was a great episode, a discussion about uh, why children cut off their parents. So like when you become uh, emancipated as a teen and when adults are like, okay, I can't hang out with my parents anymore and they cut them off, why that happens and the types of um, healing and damage that results from that. Um, there was a whole episode about clutter, which I really loved because I'm one of those people who thinks a lot about clutter. Uh, and it's a really great show because it's very wide ranging. There is hard science on the show. And then there's also stuff about uh, spirituality and things that might be a little bit more woo. So it really 
gives you a good balance of all of the discussions that are happening around health and wellness in our society. Uh, very well done. The shows are an hour long, and of course it's free because it's a public radio jam. Um, so you can ask for it on your smart speaker. <laughs> nice. And it's called Life Examined from yes. KCRW. Yes. Yes, very good. Get it wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> what is your recommendation, Lauren? <laughs> My recommendation this week is a recycled recommendation from one of our episodes a few weeks ago. Our loyal listeners will remember that we just talked to Jason Del Rey, the author of a new book about Walmart and Amazon. And at the end of that show, Jason recommended a TV program in part because he appreciated that the actor on the show, the lead actor, is, as Jason put it, a short king. Um, and Jason himself is a short king. Uh, the show, after all that preamble, is The Bear. It's on Hulu and FX. It's the second season of The Bear. I have not yet watched the season finale. I'm saving that. There are 10 episodes, but I've watched the first nine, and it is, in fact, very, very good. It's about the restaurant industry, um, but it's really about the characters in this particular program, and each episode feels like its own capsule. There's one episode in particular that has this amazing star-studded cast, like like a handful of really great cameos. Um, but it's also probably one of the most intense and disturbing episodes of the season. It's just really beautifully done. I really like it. Can I tell you about the weird synesthesia that I have watching this show? Sure. So I've worked in the restaurant industry a very long time ago, previous career, but it has a lot of very particular smells, a lot of them having to do with uh, people. And not necessarily the food, but like the, the people and the close quarters and the disinfectants and mm -hmm. the um, the like the, the dishwashing machine. Watching this show because it takes place in a restaurant kitchen largely brings back a lot of those smell memories mm, for like me, olfactory memories. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So like I, it's it's weird, but like I try to finish my dinner before we start watching it. So that I can like fully remember some of those smells. It's it's bizarre. I, there's no other show. Wow, it's a real trip for you. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I just I wonder if there's anybody out there listening who watches the bear and also can smell the bear. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I felt that way a little me? bit during the uh, fishes episode. What do I say? Thread because, at me. Yeah, like my 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 family used to do a lot of the fish on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And then there but then there also had to be sauce or gravy as mm -hmm. some Italian families call it. And that um that tangling of scents was very real. And mm -hmm. like the sauce like splattered everywhere. Yep. I was like, oh yeah, that's it was very familiar. See, I don't but I don't think I specifically thought about it from a s smell perspective, although maybe that's what it was actually. Then I was like, oh this is so remembering something. For me that scene that you're talking about, the smell that I would have smelled while watching it was not like the smell of the sauce cooking. It would have been the sort of acrid burned sauce smell <laughs> mingling with the cigarette smoke. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's not the food that I'm smelling when I'm watching the show because like I don't know what those things necessarily smell like because they're so fancy and they got all the foam on them and everything, right? Like, I don't necessarily know what those smell like, but the very yeah. familiar smells of the environment yeah. of that working environment, that's... Well, because the fine dining experience is supposed to essentially smell like air. Yeah. Or at least look that way. Yes. Well, Kate, you're a Chicago person. Have you watched the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 
fishes i mean also brings me back i'm not an italian american so the exact things that they were cooking wasn't what i usually have at my uh christmases uh although my cousins are the alettos so they are so they sometimes bring uh bring that into the mix there's a, i was kind of waiting actually for them to say the word masacholi do you know what that is lauren no what is masacholi okay. yeah so it's what italian americans in chicago call penne oh like, yeah wow. So I would get it in New York and I'd be like, oh, I like this masacholi. And like everyone would look like I was insane because it's like a weird regional Chicago thing. Um, that's a little side note. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, the bear is very, I mean, it, it conjures a lot of emotions for me as like a person from like a blue collar bungalow belt family in Chicago. Uh, sometimes it cuts a little too close to home, mm -hmm. uh, but I love it. It's a great, it's a great television program. It is. Good pick. Yeah, it is. I'm like, yeah, that is a good recommendation. <laughs> I uh, never worked in food services, but my mm -hmm. husband was a line cook for a long time, which is why we always drink out of these quarts, which is like apparently a kitchen thing. So I've taken it. I've taken some little bits of kitchen life into my own. Oh, Kate, yeah. audio, audio medium. So I will describe that you just held up a <laughs> quart container, a plastic quart container Wait, filled with it. ice water. Wait, let's show, hold it up again. Here, oh, all right, all right. Which is how they drink on the show, and that's how people consume water and stay hydrated, stay hydrated. in many, many kitchens. I've, I've worked at two restaurants, and I don't remember seeing that. I think it's kind of a newer thing. Okay. Maybe we're a little too uh, aged. Aged. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Kate, this has been a real delight. You know, I think we probably should have just done the whole show on our recommendations and ignored threads because that was really fun. I think it's time for a spinoff, you know, Gadget Lab presents recommendations lab, just food for thought. Maybe you can think about it more while you're preparing all that merch that you're oh, making. Oh, yeah, that's right. The sweatshirt. Podcast. Yes, that's right. Our favorite friend of the pod. I love this. Yeah. Food for thought might even be a good name, but I'm guessing it's been taken already. Um, well, all right. Great. So next week, uh, join us again because we'll have a new show, apparently. Um, okay. Should we let Condé Nast know? Nah. <laughs> and thanks to all of you. Mike, thanks for being a great co-host as always. Thank you, Lauren. And thanks to all of you for listening, especially if you've listened this long. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter and Mastodon <laughs> and Blue Sky and Threads. And okay, yeah, just check the show notes. We'll put our info there. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. We'll be back next week. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.